And also, I think that this is, right now, this is probably one of the most polarizing sections of Scripture in all of the Bible. And so I think it is important that we, as a church body, seek the truth of God. Amen? And so the goal is that we examine the Scripture for exactly what it says. Thank you, thank you, sir. And we embrace it. Now, I had shared with you, you know, remember Abram lied to Pharaoh? And in, in his lie, um, Pharaoh was making an offer as a bride price for Abram's wife, who Pharaoh believed was his sister. And so Pharaoh offered him all these things, and Abram, who was already pretty wealthy, became very wealthy as a result of Pharaoh's offer. And then when, um, when everything was revealed and, and God had begun to uh, torment Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, what have you done to me, Abram? Here, take everything I've given you, take your wife, and just go. As a result of Abram's wealth, there became a bit of a separation between him and his nephew Lot. And Lot split off from him, and it was, it was all disagreements over material goods and, and the servants that they had. And so Lot and his household, they, they separated and they went off to live in Sodom. And many of you have heard about Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's, it's easy for us when we think about that time of Lot's life to think about specific sin, but I would tell you Sodom and Gomorrah then has many similarities to the state of our nation now. And so to highlight the issues in Sodom and Gomorrah is to point out what God deems as sin, and I just would like to state before I go on any further, you are looking at not just a pastor, but a man, Aaron Keller, the chief of sinners. Okay? Paul the Apostle referred to himself as the chief of sinners. And the only way I am saved is by the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. And so, as we examine this today, I think it is important for us to see the heart of God through Abraham, and we're going to see Abraham today, crying out to God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so if you would turn to Genesis chapter 18, we're going to start at verse 16. We're going to go all the way through verse 33. Genesis 18, starting at verse 16. Who's ready to read the word of God? Amen. Amen. Says, then the men got up from their meal and looked towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him. And said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? 
Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why? You would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. This is where Abraham gets bold. Listen to this. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. Then the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you. Lord, we, we read in this section of Scripture in, in Abraham's prayer, God, you offer grace, you offer mercy, you offer opportunity. And Lord, may we recognize your offering to us. And God, may we accept your grace and mercy for what it is. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I believe there are three ways that God prepares the hearts of people and deals with people. And we, find, we can find it in this section of Scripture. And something that we have been establishing in this church is God gives warnings for his standard. Don't you agree? God gives us plenty of warning for what his standard is. And, you know, we, we hear in, in Scripture, we read this description that Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was flagrant. And in Genesis 19, we learn kind of the depths of their sin. And I want to read that for you right now, Genesis 19, 1 through 8. It says, That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way. Oh no, they replied, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. 
But Lot insisted, so at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread, made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. And I just got to say in reading that, first off, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around protecting the virtue of guests over your own daughters, right? And what this displays is a a deep perversion in Sodom and Gomorrah, and and they're under this perversion. And, And here God is looking down on these cities, and he sees that there is no shame in their sin. You know how you and I, we like to do a lot of things hidden in the dark. We don't want people to know. They're being very outward with what they do. In fact, they almost paraded around, right? And what is taking place is God is looking down on their cities, and they are without shame. And just a moment ago, I used the word, they, they, were, they were in their perversion. I want you to think about the very meaning of that word for a moment. This is it. It is the alteration. Everyone say alteration. The alteration of something from its original course, meaning, or state to a distortion or corruption of what was first intended. So what it is saying that that anything that we could call a perversion is taking something that was originally good and twisting it and changing it a bit. And I want to establish in this room, sin in and of itself is disobedience to God. Amen? Sin is disobedience to God. And as I just spoke a moment ago, sin is often done in darkness. We try and let it remain hidden. And we're usually ashamed of it publicly, knowing that we have sinned. But when we're looking at examples of, like, say, Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't shame. One could say it was pride. And I was, I was thinking about examples of this, what we see in our nation. And one, my, my mind first went to Mardi Gras, right? Like if you just take Mardi Gras on the surface or in the Caribbean, I was just in the Caribbean, and they celebrate what's called Carnival. And this is done right before Lent. And you guys know what Lent is, right? So, so on on Wednesday, it's, it's Ash Wednesday. On Tuesday, they do this thing called Fat Tuesday. And the goal is that they're going to do all this sinning before Ash Wednesday starts. And next thing you know, we are going to practice atonement and honoring Christ. Doesn't exactly mix, does it? It's open, proud sin. It's full of perversion. And frankly, it is a mockery to God. Even in the following 40 days of penance. Think about that. 
The whole time they're like, okay, so I'm going to do all my sinning today. Tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. and They put the ash in the shape of a cross on their forehead. And next thing you know, they're honoring God. And yet God's saying, I, I know what you did yesterday. Don't, don't pretend like you're doing something that's bringing me honor, right? And although we read stories like this in Genesis 19 and we see the sexual perversion, if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 through 50, it gets more specific and in-depth in the sins of Sodom. I want you to listen to this. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. It said, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out as you have seen. Who reads that and gets convicted? I read it and get convicted. Listen to this again. Her sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. And as it uses the word detestable, and, and, and we might see their sin as detestable, that was their norm. That was the culture. That was standard. In fact, it was so standard. You saw, you saw Abraham bargaining with God all the way down to, if you find ten righteous people in these two towns, will you spare it? And God said, yes. And these people in these towns, they might not have seen the wrong in what they were doing. We read it and it seems obvious, but yet what we learn by what sin is in God's word and then we are convicted by the Holy Spirit in that sin so that we remit sin and follow in the path of Christ. But what I pray for each and every one of us is that we be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, you and I have a choice today. What we can do is, especially if we have sinned and all have fallen or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so what we can do is we can choose to harden our heart in our sin, or we can choose to be open to the Holy Spirit revealing to us things that need to change. And what I believe that if we listen to God's word. God sets this standard of righteousness, okay? And so Abraham, he asks a significant question that teaches us a lot about God. In verse 23, he says, uh, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? So it brings me to these kind of questions. Does God differentiate those who choose to live righteously from those who practice evil? We learn, yes, he does. Then we, we learn in the question, do righteous people, can they sanctify a whole city? Now, we know that if we read in Scripture that if, if, a, if a, a spouse has their spouse who is not serving the Lord, they can sanctify the household. 
And so what we learn from God is that he spares the whole city in the event they find ten who are righteous. I find that fascinating. But clearly something else we learn about God is he does not tolerate wickedness and he desires for us righteous living. I want to read for you 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So if we claim Christ, let, let's simplify this. If we claim Christ because of the forgiveness he brings and the remission of sin, then we continually to walk in righteousness. We are not to continually walk in sin. So this means that as we draw closer to God, like in our worship today as we felt the presence of God, we should also find the sins that we have committed detestable. Amen? We should find that detestable. It does not and cannot honor God. Are you guys following me? The only way, church, that we can honor God is being sinless and blameless, which means claiming his son, Jesus Christ. You cannot work toward a sinless life. You cannot work toward a blameless life. You claim Christ. That is how it takes place. And you know, we talk about issues like Sodom and Gomorrah, and really what we do is we might minimize the big issue. Because here's the reality, church. And I want us to be inward focused. I don't want us to look around the room when I say this. I want us to look in the mirror when I say this. We are dealing with blatant sin today, even in the church. We are. And your mind might go only to the obvious sexual sins that are mentioned, say, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, but I want you to be open to the pervasiveness of sin today when we read the words of Christ. I want you to listen to this in Matthew 5, 27 through 29. Jesus says, everyone say, Jesus says. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better. Check, check, check the severity of what Jesus is saying. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So you might be in your mind considering what is sexually perverse, and you're like, you know what, I'm not that. By the words of Christ, what... What do you think now? Because I'm going to tell you, I have fallen short of the glory of God in that manner. And I have had to go to God for forgiveness. And when the Spirit of God convicts me, I have a choice to make. Lay that sin down and pursue Him or cling to that sin and lose him. Are you hearing me, church? 
This is why last week I mentioned, I, I said that we often think of ways that you can defile your body. And Jesus was dealing with that. He was arguing with the Pharisees and Sadducees about uh, the, the defilement of, of skin and, and, and what you can do to your physical nature. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Defilement comes from within. And so here is the reality. We can look perfect on the outside. We can act like we have it all together. We can try and maintain what seems like pure relationships. But men, I want you to hear me out. But if you find yourself looking at scantily clad women on your phone, you're not honoring God. You're not. Say the same thing for the ladies in the house. And so understand what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And then what he wants is he wants your surrender. He wants you to turn those things over to him. And what you will find is when, when we allow that conviction from the Holy Spirit to, to begin to change us and stir us, what God will call us out to do is walk in purity and righteousness. And here's the thing. I've already outed myself today, right, church? I've outed myself. I don't want you to leave here walking in condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is no condemnation. So what we do is we have an opportunity here because our, our minds, we, we so often were attached to blatant sin, but we are not blameless. We are full of blame. And so I also plead with you not to let your pride raise up, but be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and seek his will for your life. Because what you will find is God displays his grace to you. He displays his mercy and grace, and he wants to do that today. And we see that in Abraham's prayer. Because we see that Abraham's bargaining with God. He sees people in Sodom and Gomorrah that he loves. He knows that their hearts are wicked. He knows that they're far from God. But he looks on them and loves them. And so he begins to plead with God because he is looking at the word that we've used a lot recently, the human condition. He's looking at the human condition. He sees the fragility. He sees their weakness of humanity. And God at the same time is frustrated because of how far people move away from his plan and purpose. And with each and every number Abraham presents to God, and he says, will you slay the righteous with the wicked? God responds, responds with, I will spare it for the 50. I will spare it for the 45. I will spare it for the 40. I will spare it for the 30, the 20, the 10. And with each request, God honors Abraham because I believe it all hinges on this verse. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was going before God as a righteous man. It's a great lesson, church, for us interceding and praying 
for others. There's some key things that we can learn about this. Abraham approached this prayer as a dialogue. Abraham, you saw his humble attitude in going before God, but he also prayed boldly. He also prayed audaciously. Think about how many times he went to God, getting God to just lower the number. It's because he truly cared about the whole city. Abraham, what he was doing was he was pleading mercy for these people. Church, I am telling you, the lesson here is God offers grace to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And his grace is not offered through just overlooking your sin. Hear me out. He's not just going to overlook your sin and just allow you to keep on sinning. But he is offering you a way out of your sin through Jesus Christ. So we have a choice to react in our human, humility, excuse me, or we can react in rebellion and pride. But if you are open to the Spirit of God speaking, what he is going to do is he's going to draw you into God and call you into righteousness, which requires us turning from sin. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 gets more specific on sin, and I want you to hear this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to be very clear. And I want to be very clear because I care about people in this room. If we find ourselves in sexual relationships outside of marriage, you cannot honor God in that. Okay? We can try. But really what God wants us to do is he wants us to move towards purity and cleansing in him. And so we have to move away from those things and we have to make it right in the eyes of God. And then we can seek to honor him. Do you hear what I'm saying? That is when we can honor him. And what his grace does is his grace provides a way out because here is the reality. What we don't know is oftentimes our decision-making in sin, even if it might present itself as good, it can bring hurt. Are you hearing me? It can bring hurt and pain along the way. And so what God offers in his grace, in this case, is for Lot and his family to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, to leave and not look back with a longing for that life. And what we learn in Genesis 19.26 is that his, Lot's wife, as they were leaving, she was running behind him. And more than just turning and looking back at the city, wishing that she was back there, her heart wished she had never left. And immediately the scripture describes her as turning into a pillar of salt. And what God teaches us in that moment is he does absolutely offer grace. But with an unrepentant heart, there are consequences for our actions. 
And so what we know is in the lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah that God's judgment is sure. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. And so we see God in this story destroy two regions of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we have at times difficulty with reconciling with God's judgment. But here is what I know, church. What I know is God is good. What I also know is God makes promises. God does not neglect his promises. He sees them through. But along the way, until there is the fulfillment of those promises, God gives us opportunity to come back to him. And through Jesus Christ, he has made a way for us to be forgiven and have a chance at new life. And God does this because here's the reality, church. He's preparing you for a day in eternity? Well, guess what? These relationships that we have here now, I love my wife, but one day in eternity, it's not going to be about her and I. She has her relationship with God. I have my relationship with God. And my life is going to be committed to God in eternity. These relationships are great to get us through this life, but that's not what God has planned for you in eternity. And so, we were created for an eternal purpose. And if you want to walk toward your eternal purpose, you seek to honor God with your life now. And the only way we're going to reach perfection, church, is through Christ. I'm not perfect. I never will be. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. But the next lesson is we don't excuse our sin. Just because I can stand here and admit I'm a sinner doesn't mean I go on making excuses the rest of my life for my sin. And so what I implore you to do is I implore you to seek the Holy Spirit out and examine your life. Do you have control over your sin? Or does sin have control over you? Does your relationship with sin outweigh your relationship with God? If God is telling you, you need to give that up, you need to turn it over to me, and you say, I can't. I'd say it outweighs your relationship with God. And then if you find yourself not letting go of what God deems as sin, if it seems too valuable to give up, I am telling you, Scripture teaches us there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sin. We have to be willing to give it up because God cannot abide where sin abounds. That is why he provided Jesus, so that you and I can be cleansed. See, we can get God's glorious standard pretty twisted, especially when it comes to sexual sin. And there is so much sexual pervasiveness today. 
what I encourage you to do is seek the Spirit of God in this. And what you will find is His Holy Spirit drawing you in and showing you the way that you should go. Because I believe that one of the ways that God wants to free us is in purity in our mind. He wants to renew you. He wants to set you on the right path. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of confusion today amongst our world. And I believe the only one that can make that clear is God. God brings the clarity. And it is the Spirit of God that brings the clarity. Where He will reveal in you the man or woman He has called you to be. The purpose that He has called you to. And I am telling you, if you embrace that, if you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, each and every day of your life, the Holy Spirit is going to be working on you, revealing how you can become more like Him. And what He's doing along the way is He is smoothing off every rough edge, every sin. And something God does, check this out, He doesn't do it all at once. You and I, we couldn't handle it. He systematically cleans up our lives. Continues to draw us unto Him. But if we don't choose to surrender, if we're unwilling to open the door, God can't do the work that He needs to do. So what I want us to do right now is I want us to be open to God. So if you could do me a favor, if you could stand with me. And I want you, as long as your heart is willing to just surrender with arms open to God, Lord, some of the sin in our lives is obvious. Others, not so obvious. But God, we read your word, and your word is clear that there was no one perfect but your son, Jesus Christ. And God, some of us have been just like Sodom and Gomorrah parading around in our sin. Some of us, God, have kept it secret from everyone. But Lord, as I spoke about a couple weeks ago, that one day it will be revealed in judgment. And God, what you want to do by the power of your Holy Spirit is you want to draw that out of us in Jesus' name. And God, we know that when there is confession, Lord, there, we're no longer shackled by that sin. That burden is no longer there. And so God, I believe that your Holy Spirit is working because what you are doing is you are showing us that there is a chance to be free. But God, I pray that, Lord, we be people that respond to the leading and the push of your Holy Spirit. God, that we surrender over to you in Jesus' name. And that we can hear from you on who you say we are, not what the world says we are.
today these are people up here that will not condemn you what they'll do is they'll encourage you they'll support you they'll praise you and draw you closer to him they want to walk with you and they want to help hold you accountable to decisions that you make so as Kelton leads out, if that's you and God is drawing you out, we're to here to help lead you in So if the Spirit of God is working on you, I encourage you to step out right now as Kelton sees.